Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Hey, learn about upcoming events, our podcast, daily devotional, and much more when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about the importance of living a disciplined life. In the body of Christ, this is where most of the discipline should occur. It should be us challenging one another, possibly even reproving one another, bringing things into the light so that we can get better spiritually. It should never ramp up to the place where the church has to get involved and there has to be a formal uh, elder meeting to discover or to meet out discipline. Hopefully, we are self-correcting as a community. Amen? And that's really what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, you guys are sharpening one another in Bible studies, in your walks with each other. And if something's amiss, hopefully you're spending enough time in prayer with one another and other believers. You're spending enough time in encouraging one another in your walk with Jesus, where this would be a self-correcting thing. Of course, it starts with you. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, that should be enough. But sometimes you might have someone who's in your life Someone who's honest with you who may say to you, you know what, this, this is going on and this is not wise. Don't do this. Now we balance this with 1 Corinthians 16, 14, which says, let all that you do be done in love. If your motivation is love in all that you do, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 14, you will rarely go amiss. If your motivation is love, you will rarely go amiss in terms of how you approach somebody and what you say. And so this is the topic for this morning. I told you it's not going to be easy, but it is uh, where we are in Scripture. Uh, an attitude towards sin is a bit lax in our culture, we know, and perhaps even dangerous. I heard a Sunday school teacher was asking her class, what are sins of omission? After some thought, a little fellow said, they're the sins we should have committed, but we didn't get around to yet. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not what a sin of omission is. But you get the humor of it, and we know that in, in the church, in the modern church, these subjects may even become a bit taboo. You talk about sin and discipline, but here we are in our Bible. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Paul says it's actually reported. The, the idea is that people are reporting it to Paul and others, but do you believe that it was just limited to Paul and maybe others around Paul? No, I think this was probably the talk of the town. Hey, do you know that someone in the Corinthian church, those people who say they're so holy, and those people who say we should become believers because Jesus will change our life? Oh, you wouldn't believe what's going on in there. Not only are they divided and proud, but someone in that fellowship is actually sleeping with his father's wife. Now, would that make the tabloids? Would that make the 11 o'clock news? I think it would. Because remember, whenever there's a scandal in the church, the media absolutely loves it. Because it gives another reason for them to hang their hat on their unbelief. If I can say, hey, there's a bunch of hypocrites in there, then maybe somehow that makes me feel a little, little bit better about constantly suppressing the truth of God that's all around me. And hypocrisy is a very convenient hook 
on which to hang your hat of unbelief. Well, they're no better than anybody else, and, and that's what people say. And I'm sure it was being reported everywhere that there is immorality. This is the Greek word pornea, where we get pornography, but it's a very broad term. It speaks of anything, any sexual relationship outside of marriage. There is immorality among you, among the church, and immorality of such a kind. And of course, there are different kinds. Pornea covers all of them, all aberrations, all sex outside of marriage, etc. This kind of immorality, middle of verse 1, does not exist even among the Gentiles, which would be a synonym here for unbelievers, that someone has, the word has is sexually freighted, his father's wife. Now, this is not the man's natural mother, else Paul would have said so. It would appear to be his stepmom. Now, some of you are going, oh my goodness. This, this is gross. This is kind of the uh, locker room talk that you know, degrades pretty low when someone's trying to uh, insult you as low as they can go. This is kind of the, the stuff that they use, right? And Paul says, this is happening in the church. Now, it may be because women in this culture married younger and usually the men were older that maybe she was close in age to this man in the Corinthian congregation. In the text, she is not dealt with. So it would appear that she is not a believer. And you'll notice that in verse 13 of chapter 5, but those who are outside, God judges. So uh, look at verse 12. What, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? She is outside the church. So apparently because of that, she gets no mention. She's not dealt with. But the man is dealt with. And he is with his father's wife. What happened here? I don't know. Did, did uh, they go through a divorce? Uh, did the father die? Uh, it would appear from other passages that he's still alive. Were they in the same home and somehow there was an attraction and you know all of a sudden they began to like each other and then it turned into a romance? I don't know. Reading between the lines. But you could hear maybe some people who were interviewed around this thing say, well, here's what happened. It's a, it's, it's a sordid tale, but you could hear people maybe even give their justifications for it in our culture, right? Well, here's what happened, right? And the excuses can abound, but Paul's like, do you know that not even the Gentiles have this kind of thing going around? And by the way, where did the Corinthian church, where was it? It was in a place where sexual sin was rampant, where the temple of Aphrodite was up on the high hill, the Acropolis of the city, where there were a thousand temple prostitutes. Sexual sin was everywhere. And yet Paul says this kind of sin doesn't even get practiced by them. Cicero, who's a, a Roman, and Tacitus, a Roman historian, both write about how objectionable and how terrible this kind of thing is. And yet, it was being practiced in the Corinthian congregation. The main issue here is not so much the sin, but the church's lack of response to the sin. That nobody seemed to be saying anything, or maybe a few, 
And the report got to the Apostle Paul, and he was like, what is going on? Why is this happening in the congregation? Now, the basis of this being a law of God is found in Leviticus 18. Let's turn over there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Let's just take a peek, because uh, this will just show you where it's anchored in Jewish law, but this is also clearly from... Cicero and Tacitus, the Romans or Greeks looked down on this too. Leviticus 18, verse 7. The NIV is a little bit clearer on the subject being sexual relations, but I'm, I'm going to read from the uh, New American Standard. Leviticus 18, verse 7 says, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your fa- father, that is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother, you are not to uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. The uncover the nakedness there are sexual relations. It is your father's nakedness. And then it goes on from there. That's, if you turn back to 1 Corinthians 5, that's the anchor point in the Torah. And the people of Corinth should have known this. It was obvious even among the Gentiles. This is a case of what we would call incest. And it was just wrong. And Paul's like, what's going on? Notice, uh, you have become, 1 Corinthians 5, 2, arrogant. One scholar has this as a question. How then can you still be puffed up and have not mourned instead in order that the one who did this, the one who has done this deed, might be removed from your midst? Now, there's all kinds of conjecture why they put up with this, why everybody knew about it inside and outside the church and why they didn't deal with it. And upon researching this, and I've, I've looked at this a number of different times, the old view seemed to be that it was because under the banner of tolerance and grace, maybe the Corinthian church had decided that this was a great expression of the grace of the gospel, so they wouldn't say anything. But when you begin to read different commentaries on this and begin to kind of think about it logically, it's hard to imagine that a church could be proud about this going on. So what was going on? This is conjecture, but I lay it before you. There are some that believe that this man was a leader in the church, that he was wealthy, that he had some high position. Maybe he even opened his home. Because remember, in the first century, there's no church buildings Maybe he opened his home to the church. Maybe he was a great benefactor. Maybe he was a big giver. Maybe he was an authority. Maybe even a teacher. We don't know. And so that the Corinthian congregation hesitated to confront him because of his status. And believe believe me when I say this does happen. I was in a class in Colorado some years ago. And uh, I was talking with a, a brother in Christ who was telling me about a church on the East Coast who the congregation know that the pastor has a mistress on the side and nobody confronts him because in that denominational hierarchical structure, they believe he's the man and nobody can confront the man. So the man in the pulpit every week speaking to a congregation has a mistress and no one will tell him that he's in sin. It's a real case, perhaps still going on today. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from Scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Make sure you subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Maybe the Corinthian church had decided that this was a great expression of the grace of the gospel, so they wouldn't say anything. But when you begin to read different commentaries on this and begin to kind of think about it logically, it's hard to imagine that a church could be proud about this going on. So what was going on? This is conjecture, but I lay it before you. There are some that believe that this man was a leader in the church, that he was wealthy, that he had some high position. Maybe he even opened his home, because remember in the first century, there's no church buildings. Maybe he opened his home to the church. Maybe he was a great benefactor. Maybe he was a big giver. Maybe he was an authority. Maybe even a teacher. We don't know. And so that the Corinthian congregation hesitated to confront him because of his status. And believe me me when I say this does happen. I was in a class in Colorado some years ago. And uh, I was talking with a, a brother in Christ who was telling me about a church on the East Coast. Who the congregation know that the pastor has a mistress on the side. And nobody confronts him. Because in that denominational hierarchical structure, they believe he's the man. And nobody can confront the man. So the man in the pulpit every week speaking to a congregation has a mistress. And no one will tell him that he's in sin. It's a real case. Perhaps still going on today. Because of his position in the pulpit, nobody will confront him and remove him from his position. And we, we all know that some people in certain positions just simply intimidate people. And the, the Corinthian culture was very big on social status. So if you had a high status, if you had money, if you had position, if you had authority, then others below you hesitated to confront you or 
speak into your life. They maybe believed that they didn't have the right to do so. And so they went on, proud about their church, but they should have been mourning, middle of verse 2, instead. The guy should have been dealt with and removed, but he wasn't. They were proud when they should have been mourning. When you watch some of the Old Testament prophets, examples like Daniel, Jeremiah, uh, Ezra, Isaiah, when they saw sin in the camp, what did they do? They mourned over it. They confronted uh, spiritual and political leaders, kings like Ahab, Elijah, confronted him. And they, they would be very honest and say, look, the ramifications, the consequences for the nation are huge if we continue to go this way. And in the church, that should be the deal as well. How could the Corinthian culture find hope in the light of the Corinthian church being that the talk of the town was that there was incest going on with a leader in the congregation undealt with? How many people would say, oh, I wouldn't bother going to that church? They're just a bunch of hypocrites over there. How many people would lose hope in the culture knowing that what was happening in the church was not just the same as the world, but worse than the world? What would that do to their witness? What would that do to their salt and light opportunities in the culture? Well, it goes without saying. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this is 12, 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. You should have been mourning. There's no better story that I can think of than one that Pastor Chuck Smith told. He got a phone call in the church office and it was about a man who was a committed believer at some point, part of the fellowship at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, who was living with a woman that he was cheating, you know, he was cheating with her, cheating on his wife. The wife, in desperation, called the church office, had called Pastor Chuck and said, would you please go talk to him? So he went to this downtown area, as I recall the story, a shabby-looking apartment. He knocked on the door. The man sheepishly opened the door, realizing it was Pastor Chuck. The woman looked around the corner. She was in some sort of robe, you know, went off into another room. And the man, you know, sheepishly invites Pastor Chuck in. They sit down on the couch. And Chuck, the whole time, you know, driving over, as we will all do, was like, Lord, give me the words. Open his heart. This is so devastating. Pastor Chuck said when he looked at the surroundings, he said he looked at the woman, he looked at the shabby apartment, and he thought of all that that man had. He had a beautiful wife, he had a family, he had a nice home, he had a business, and he had gone in so low in sexual sin. And so Chuck was about to open his mouth, and all he could do was start crying. He said he just started mourning and thinking about what had happened to this man and he began crying and mourning. And he said he started crying like a baby and he couldn't even get himself together to speak any words. And finally he just said, blubbering like a baby, I'm sorry, I have to go. And he laughed and he got in his car and he drove away and he said he was so humiliated and disgusted with himself, he thought, you know what? I, I should have had a pearl of wisdom. I should have had something deep and, and, and profound to say to this guy. And all I could do was cry like a baby. Maybe I'm a failure as a pastor. And then he got a phone call the next day that that man had gone home, back to his wife. Because the Lord had used his brokenness and his tears 
to convey more than any words or Bible verses could have conveyed. See, when we see sin, when we see sin which ultimately destroys, we should mourn over it. Over our own sin and over the sins of others. And when we see sin and what it does to other people, it should break our hearts. When one part of the body is hurting, we should all be hurting. Now Paul says, I on my part, verse 3, though absent in body but present in spirit, Paul is not there physically, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. Now some people pause here and say, wait a minute, Paul. Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be Judge, now all unbelievers know that verse, right? I know there's one verse in your book that says, don't judge me, man. Don't, don't judge me, right? And that's usually spoken to deflect light away from me. If I can quote a Bible verse and you're speaking into my life, if I can quote that, then it puts up my deflector shield. All right, I'm good now, right? No, not necessarily. Because what Jesus is condemning is hypocritical judgment. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying not to judge. He's saying just don't judge hypocritically. If you can see clearly the speck in your brother's eye, how many of you ever had something in your eye? And if you wear contact lenses, it's even worse. And there's nothing you can do until that thing's removed. Amen? <laughs> Get it. You have to say to your wife, Get it out of my... Where is it? Right? Look, a little speck is enough to throw off our whole life. Jesus is not saying don't judge. He's just saying, look, just first make sure your life is at a place where you can see clearly. You're listening to Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance, and that was part two of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 called The Shepherd's Discipline. Hey, just a reminder, one way we'd love to help equip you with God's truth is to answer your question right here on the program. Has someone asked you about your faith or the Bible and you weren't quite sure how to answer them? Well, Pastor Michael would love to help you get your answer. Email your questions to us. Visit walkintruth.com to email us or call and leave your question on a voicemail. Be brief and tell us where you're calling from. The number here is 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. You know, sometimes we hear from people, uh, especially if we attempt to bring some correction to somebody because we love them, and that's what should happen. And look, if we bring correction to anybody's life, we better look at our own lives first and know that we need to come with gentleness and respect. Our motive must always be love when we're going to admonish or correct a brother or a sister. But the question, how do I hold any about anyone accountable when everybody quotes, judge not lest you be judged? Well, that verse is actually often taken out of context. And what Jesus is basically saying is don't judge hypocritically. Make sure you got the log out of your own eye. You can take a look at Matthew 7, about verses 1 through 5. Take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus isn't saying that you can't judge. In fact, the whole chapter is about uh, making sure you're not 
duped by false prophets and uh, wolves and sheep's clothing. So certainly the context is not that you can't judge. It's just making a right judgment. It's judging with the log out of your own eye, not being a hypocrite in the judgment. And that's the point. And so if you're going to help the brother with the speck in his eye, just make sure you've got the log out first, and then you'll see clearly and you'll have good discernment and you'll know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and even when to be quiet and pray. Hey, Sunday service on November 17th, we're wanting to invite you out to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. That's the church behind Walk in Truth, this radio program that you're hearing. And we have Sunday services at 9 and 11.15 a.m. We have a youth group, junior high, senior high, at the second service at 11.15. We have Sunday school classes for all ages at really both services, except that uh, youth groups at the later one. And you can find out information and directions when you go to the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store, or go to walkintruth.com and you can click on the church tab and you can get to the information as well. We are going through the majestic letter to the Galatians, talking about defending and living the gospel of grace. What a great book, the book of Galatians. That's what we're going through. If you'd like to join us, download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Check out the service times and directions. You'll get everything you need there. And I look forward to meeting you on one of these Sundays. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about how it's very important to accept discipline in a culture that usually tries to blame someone else for mistakes. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.